we read or through teaching like this or through our relationships. The Holy Spirit oversees our lives and guides us and leads us into all truth or all reality about God's will and purpose. Our role as believers is learning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit each step of the way. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Learning to cooperate, like I emphasized last week, learning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us in the now, when he speaks to us about something right now, whatever it is, he speaks to us in our hearts, whereby in our hearts we know what he is saying to us and what he requires. And in that moment, as we respond to him, something happens. We are being changed from one degree of glory to another. Now, the reason why this is important is this. If you think about discipleship as to be like Christ and, you know, to be perfect and, um, gosh, I can never do it, then indeed you will never do it. But if you learn to respond to what God speaks to you in your conscience on a moment-by-moment basis, then one day you will wake up and you are like Christ. It's like that. It is as simple as that. John chapter 16, verse 13. The Lord speaking about the Holy Spirit says this. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. If you are born again, if you are born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And because he lives inside of you, he reveals to you all truth. Now, it's not all doctrine. It's not all doctrine. All truth is really reality. He shows you things as they really are from God's perspective. He shows you things as they really are. It includes doctrine. It includes various aspects of the kingdom. But it is the Holy Spirit, moment by moment, revealing to you the heart and mind of God in your context. There are big picture issues, but a lot of times it's in the small issues. This is why on the last day, nobody, especially the children of God, nobody will have an excuse why they did not imitate Christ. Nobody will have an excuse why they could not be like Jesus whilst they were on earth. Nobody, not even the unsaved, because all are already condemned. Everybody, the Spirit of God, and the way God works things, he has a way of revealing truth to us. Those of you who say things like, I don't, I don't know God's voice, I can't recognize what God's voice and all of that, that's fine. But you can recognize your conscience. You can recognize that sense of what's right and wrong. And that is the primary way through which God, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to us. Your conscience is not the Holy Spirit, but he uses your conscience to speak to you a lot about what God wants. Philippians 2.13. Philippians 2, in fact, verse 12 first and then 13. Philippians 2, verse 12 first and then 13. Have you got it up there? If you can. I know I've given you 2.13. Have you got it? You finding it? I know I didn't give that to you in the notes. Philippians 2, 13, 12 and 13. What does it say? Are we still finding it? Have you got your Bibles? Can you find it? Is it there? Good. Thank you. 
Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do, and to do for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of it for his good pleasure. What is he saying? The outcome of your salvation is in your hands because God works in you his will and gives, works in you the ability for you to do what he wants, his good pleasure. God works in you. Say, God works in me. To change my will. To change my will. This is my interpretation. To change my will so that I do his good pleasure. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not repeating it. Some of you are Andrews. Thank you for, thank you. God works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you and I are without excuse. Work out your own salvation. Say your own salvation. Come on, say to your neighbor your own salvation. This point is very important in discipleship. That at the end of the day, I have to make sure that I am right with God. Regardless of what the next person is doing, regardless of what the next person is doing, whether they are reasonable or unreasonable, whether they are cooperative or they are a great stumbling block, that's not the issue. I must work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. We take it very seriously. For God is the one who's working in you, both to will. And to do of his good pleasure. Beloved, everything that we allow into our lives was by choice. It was deliberate. And God will always speak to us first. But we can choose to ignore this. Now, if our aim is to be like the Lord, we must first of all examine how possible it is because we all know that the Lord was perfect. He didn't sin, ever sin. And he was an amazing human being. We know God was, our Lord Jesus was, the only, he's the only God-man. He was fully God and he was also a complete man. Now we're not talking about being like him as God. We're talking about being like him as man in his humanity. All right, so is it possible for us to be like Jesus? The simple answer is, it is possible. It is possible to be like the Lord. If it wasn't possible, God would not ask us to be like him. The scriptures would not teach that we be like him. Now, many believers have the notion that they will be like Jesus when they die and go to heaven. Of course, that is true. When you die and go to heaven, your spirit is made perfect. The spirit of just men made perfect. But the scripture teaches us that whilst we are on this earth, we really can be like the Lord. 1 John 4, 17 says this. Love has been made perfect, has been perfected among us in this, 
that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Love has been made perfect in us so that we can have confidence on the day of judgment. I don't know about you. Does the day of judgment scare you? This day of judgment used to scare me greatly before I was saved. And even after I got saved, it scared me a little bit. I mean, but now... I have two, there are two sides. I look forward to that day, the last day, because I know after that there's a new age. And um, in fact, I look forward to it, to be totally honest with you. I, I'm really, I'm, let's just be honest. I'm, I look forward to it, yeah. Because God's heart is that his people have confidence on the day of judgment. We have confidence. We are, we are bold on the day of judgment. Can you imagine that? The whole of heaven is watching everything about your life. Is revealed. You're standing before the, the judgment seat of Christ. He's not that gentle Jesus meek and mild. His eyes are flames of fire. His hair is burning, is white as snow. He's shining. And you're confident. Wow. How is that possible? Because of his love being made complete in us. It's not that you're not aware of your issues. It's not that you're not aware there are, there, there's, there's much to be desired, but you're confident in his love for you. And you're confident in loving him. And in spite of yourself, you are confident. But here's the point. Your confidence also stems from this point. As he is in heaven, so are we in this world. As Jesus is now, so are we here. So, the point is, it is possible for us to be like the Lord. Now, when we get born again, this process of being like Jesus begins. It begins immediately when we get born again. But the reality of it really kicks in when we embrace the journey of being his disciples. When we embrace discipleship for what it really is, then we, with the work of the Holy Spirit, initiate or enter into another level, if you please, of being Christ-like. A path that few find. I'm talking about few Christians. Few Christians discover the path of true Christian discipleship. Most Christians live on the path of a needs-based relationship with the Lord. I have needs, Lord, I pray, and you answer me. You answer my prayers to meet my needs. I have this problem, Lord, fix it for me. I'm not happy about this, Lord, give me an injection of happiness. Lord, I need more money. Come on, where's the money machine? Bring the money. Lord, I'm working on this. Most Christians have a needs-based relationship with the Lord. They have needs and he must meet them. It's like a child growing up in a home. Children in home, in growing up in a good home, having got a sense of responsibility about what it takes to maintain the house. They shouldn't because they are children. 
They shouldn't be worrying about the light bill at the age of seven. Or how much food costs. Or, you know, the fact that, you know, the, the electricity has been, you know, 25% increase. Or, you know, they shouldn't, they shouldn't have such responsibilities on their young heads. Now, some parents think that that is good parenting. You see, it costs money, that costs money, that costs money. No, let them grow up first. But there comes a point as a child is growing up in the home, you teach them responsibility. And they begin to have responsibility for certain things. First, for their hygiene, normally. And simple things, like they have to brush their teeth, you know, as you're growing up, they say two, three, you start teaching them these things, and it takes a while. You know, they, they have to, if they wet their bed, if they wet their bed, they have to learn to stop wetting the bed. Some people still, you know, as adults, wet their bed. I mean, it happens. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying, but that's a condition. But generally speaking, you teach them. And if you don't teach them properly, you know, it affects them. And as they're growing, you teach them how to eat properly, how to eat, because our children just like to, you know, and some adults still like to, you know, <laughs> because they didn't learn it properly. You teach them how to dress. But as they grow up, as they grow up, they start having responsibility for their life. That's the point I'm emphasizing. In the kingdom, is the same. As you grow up in maturity in the Lord, as you commit to being more like the Lord, your paradigm changes from being a needs-oriented Christian to a Christian committed to being like Jesus regardless of the consequences, regardless of the cost on you, regardless of how it makes you feel. And that path is a difficult path where you choose to follow the Lord regardless of how it benefits you. Come on, the child is having fun. Let the child enjoy themselves. Come on, don't worry. This is a very important point, that as a child of God, as a child of God, you are able to live your life for the Lord, even if it costs you, even if you're losing, even if it's painful, and that your mindset is not about what's in it for me. I really hate that doctrine. That doctrine is in the body of Christ. You know, when you go to church, ask the question, what's in it for me? It's a demonic doctrine. It's an evil doctrine. What's in it for me? No, that's not what church is about. It's about what, how do we honor the Lord? Not what's in it for you. That's the world's mindset. That's the way the world thinks. That's not the way Jesus lived his life, as we're going to see. So, the point I want to emphasize is, it is possible to be like the Lord. Now, if we're going to be like the Lord, let's look at some foundational areas of Jesus' earthly life so that we can learn from it. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says this. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This verse highlights something very important about the Lord. And it's a lesson we can imbue about discipleship is this. Even Jesus had to grow. 
even Jesus had to develop over time. In order for Jesus, the sinless man, to be perfect or complete. Give you another scripture. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says this. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things. That's talking about God. And by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. God made the captain of our salvation, Jesus, perfect through sufferings. In other words, there was a point in Jesus' life where he was not perfect. And it was through a certain process that brought him to the place of perfection. Now, don't misunderstand perfection with sinlessness. Jesus was always sinless. He never sinned. He, he never did anything wrong. But the word perfect in the Greek comes from a word which means to be complete. To be complete. And what it's talking about is an individual who is completely whole in every aspect of their life. Luke chapter 2.52 says that, and Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, favor of God, favor of man. That word increase in the Greek comes from a word which means to drive forward, to drive forward as if by beating. In other words, for the Lord to increase in these four areas, he had to be deliberate about it. It took time. So there was a, so in other words, there was a certain time in Jesus' development where his wisdom that he had as a 12-year-old could not cope for the life of a 20-year-old. That's why as a 12-year-old, even though he hadn't done anything wrong, he was sinless, he didn't have the sense of responsibility that his parents would be worried about him if he was missing for three days. Do you understand? Any 18, 19-year-old would have that kind of wisdom. It's because it's the Lord, we have to be careful how we say it. But he was a 12-year-old. He wasn't doing anything wrong, but he didn't have the sense of responsibility to be aware that if he was missing from his parents for three days, they would be worried sick about him. Do you get the point? So even Jesus had to increase, had to grow. This is an important point in your life as a disciple. If you choose the path of discipleship. Because you will see many areas that are wrong. Or are immature or incomplete. In your life. And if you're not careful. When you see these areas. You will give up. If you don't have the mindset of the Lord Jesus. You will look at these areas that are wrong in your life. And then you see that you're called to be a disciple and you forget that actually part of the process is to grow into it. Say to somebody, I'm not a finished work. Say to somebody, I'm not a finished work. Come on, say to somebody, I'm not a finished work. That time when Jesus became perfect was when he hung on the cross. It was through the suffering of the cross that our Lord became complete, perfect. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was still struggling. Now, he never sinned. And he said, 
nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was able to identify his will in Gethsemane, which was different from the Father's will. And then say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But on the cross, he was complete in that there was no part of him that was his own. Every part was yielded to the Father's will. And that is where you are complete. Where every part of your will is yielded to the Father's will. And that's the process of discipleship. So, I want you to recognize that you being a disciple begins, but it's a process. And there are four areas in which the Lord had to increase in. He says, increased in wisdom. This talks about our mental and intellectual development. And addresses how we learn, how we grow in knowledge, how we grow in understanding, both in natural things and spiritual things. He increased in stature, which talks about our physical and natural development. Jesus was a physical man. He was a natural man. He had natural appetites. He got hungry. He got tired. He had sexual desires. He, he was a normal human being. In the sense of he felt what human beings felt. And he had to develop in this. He went through puberty. He went through experiences of loneliness, what it's like, because he never got married. So he had to deal with the pressure of being a single adult Jewish man. All his peers got married except him because that wasn't the will of God for his life. Somebody said that part of the discipleship process, we, we, are not, we don't really like that bit. How many of you want that call to be a eunuch for Jesus? Oh. You see? He also grew in favor with God. What a strange phrase. He increased in favor with God. How can the Son of God, perfect man, the God-man, increase with favor with God? But he did. He had to grow with favor with God. You see, don't confuse God's love for you with God's favor on your life. God will love you unconditionally, but the favor of God on your life increases as you are able to receive it. You see, people say, I received the favor. I received, I claimed the favor. And then after they said that, the next action undermines the favor. Why are you letting all this happen to me? You just undermine. I thought you received the favor. Favor with God. This deals with his spiritual development. It highlights his relationship with God the Father and the influence of God on his heart. It includes the manifestation of God's power and his ministry that he had and the liberty that he had as a human being to operate in supernatural power. But he increased in favor of God. And it's the same for you. You have to learn to increase in favor with God. Where God really likes to show you favor. 
the eyes of the run, uh, eyes of the run, eyes of the eyes of the Lord runs to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are loyal towards Him, so that He can show Himself strong on their behalf. God is looking for people who He can show Himself strong on their behalf. Do you know that God really likes the direction of your heart? That's why he opens the doors for you. That's why he's giving you a degree of favor. Thank him, enjoy it, celebrate it, and don't be afraid of it. Don't worry. If it's going to corrupt you, just add a prayer there. If it's going to corrupt me, let me lose every one of it at once. It will happen. But it won't corrupt you in Jesus' name. We want more favor. We want more favor. But seriously, you can, you can add those prayers into your life where you say, Lord, you know, this is really nice. But if it's going to destroy me, take it all away. The only problem is, when the prayer begins to work, you may not like how it works. Yeah, you have to be careful how you pray. Because you see, the favor of God is very nice when you're receiving it, but it has a price. So there are certain things. For instance, once the Lord revealed to me that there were certain things he cannot give to me. In fact, every time it was opening to me, the angels would shut the door. Every time it would shut the door because there was something in my life that he wanted me to get rid of. And until I got rid of it, if, he, if I entered into that glory, it would have destroyed me. Because there's a prayer I have prayed, you see. I prayed this prayer, and the prayer is this, that I don't want anything, any blessing in my life that will undermine his will and purpose for my life. I don't care what it is. And that I'm willing to lose everything so that I don't lose myself. Now you can also say, no, I don't like that prayer. Me, I want it all. I want all the glory. I want all the blessing. Give me all the money. Give me all the pleasure in this world. You can pray that. And whatever the consequence, ah, we, we let it come. We are tired. We have suffered. I want to enjoy you can also add those prayers, and the devil will accommodate you. And then he grew with favor. <laughs> he grew with favor with man. What's that? It deals with our social development, how we relate to people, how we relate to our family, how we relate to our friends, to strangers, how we behave. You know, discipleship has a lot to do with how you relate to people, how you behave. I have discovered many of us need to learn how to behave. People don't know how to even talk at times to the opposite sex. Oi, sister, come here. Sister, come here. Hey, brother. Big sister. Hey, brother. Even the way you are talking as a woman, you know. Hey, brother. Your voice is very masculine. <coughs> you need to, you know. And you wonder why nobody looks at you because we're all scared, you know. The way you say, hey, brother, you know. Seriously, there is a way. There is a way you relate to people. There's a way men talk with men. That's why some women will say, I, I can't get through to him. How come you can get through to him? Because you're talking to him as a woman talks to a woman. And I talk to him as a man talks to a man. I'm not going to say, oh, why haven't you, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? Why haven't you, that's called nagging in masculine language. But in a feminine language, it's called I care. 
I'm caring. I want to help you. <laughs> so even how we relate to people, we have to increase favor with people. You see, favor, let me tell you something about favor. This is how I define it. Favor with people is this, where people like me regardless of what I do. Yeah. So many times, this is how I pray. You know, I don't fancy myself as a very good preacher. So when I go to places to preach, I tell the Lord, let them like me. Even if I bungle, let them like me. Why should I pray, only let them like me if I'm good? Oh, no. Let them like me regardless of how I sound, how I look. Excuse me to say, you know, something could be hanging, but still they like it. Oh, that man is really cute. Look at how his trousers is, you know, yeah. So I, when I pray for favor, even, even with your husband or your wife, if you're married, you need to learn to pray for favor. I, you think, I take it for granted. I tell the Lord, let my children like me. How many parents have children that don't really like them? Once, once the parents leave the house, thank goodness he's going. <laughs> How long is he traveling for again? <laughs> Come on. How many parents, let's be honest, growing up, when you hear your dad is coming, your mom's coming, oh no, everybody starts to... It means you don't have favor with your children. <laughs> even, 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 even with my wife. Well, you think I take it for granted. We've been married for 20 years. Boy, it's favor. You pray, Lord, let, let her still like me. Even as you get bigger, let her still like me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever I see in the mirror, don't let her see that. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. See, because some of you, you look at me, you look at my wife, and you wonder how it happened. It's called the favor. It's called the favor, yeah. Not juju. Not, not, you know, it's favor. We prayed it, yeah. Because there are many things that I will do that will cause my, my wife. Listen, if you knew how, what I'm like at home, I'm not like this. No, 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 no. But we ask for favor. So you have to learn to ask for favor. Yes. You should pray. I pray this prayer very deliberate, Lord. Let Aisha still think I'm handsome. Let her think it. I don't care what the rest of you think. Let her think it. Let my children like me. Let my church members like me. Yes, I pray that prayer. Let, because I know I'm not the best of pastors. You know, some, just the way my face is so we have to add another dimension. Favor. If Jesus needed favor with men, then you need it. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Yeah. So, I'm going to bring this into a, uh, a conclusion today. We'll, we'll pick it up next week. But what was Jesus like? If he grew this way, if we're going to imitate him, then we need to know what he was like. You can't imitate somebody that you don't know what you're imitating. What was Jesus like and what did Jesus do? All right. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, Imitate me as I, just as I also imitate Christ. Um, in the notes, I want you to jump to John 14 verse 12. John 14 verse 12, which is under what did Jesus do? John 14, verse 12, says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me 
the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do, because I go to my Father. The Lord says, whoever believes in him, the works he does, they will do also. And greater works than what he's doing, they will do, because he goes to my Father. Now, sometimes we think that the word belief is a lower level word in terms of commitment and expression than, let's say, the word discipleship. But if you look at the definition of discipleship and you look at the definition of belief, which really means to, to stick to something, to be fully persuaded by it, to be completely convinced by it, to embrace it fully, to follow after it, to adhere to it, and look at discipleship, which means to be a disciplined follower of someone, including sticking to them, adhering to them, imitating them, and so forth. You find that when the Lord says, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll do also. He's not simply talking about where you're convinced about Jesus' reality. It means you've put your whole confidence in him. Really, it means you've embraced being like him. To where, over time, it shows. He who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. So, not only do we need to look at what Jesus was like, we need to look at what he did. And whatever he did, if we pursue the path of discipleship, over time, and, and I repeat this, over time, we will do his works, and we will even do greater works than what he did. Now, unless the scriptures are not true, remember we talked about the fact that it is possible to be like Jesus. Say, I want to be like Jesus. Say, I want to be like Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 21, that's the next verse after that one. It says this, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You should follow his steps. This is where we get that phrase, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? When you're in a certain context, what would Jesus do? He suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So, the scriptures are not given to us to tease us. They're given to us to empower us so that we can pursue something worthy of our God that we serve. If you're convinced you cannot do it, and then you camp on that point, then you have been defeated. The reality is you cannot do it. In your own strength, it is not possible. But the Holy Spirit, as you learn to work with him moment by moment, I repeat, it's not really in the notes, but it really should be there. Learning to work with him moment by moment. Say moment by moment. So, I have completely messed up my life. I've messed it all up. I have gone and made the wrong decision. And I'm here now. And I lift up my hands and my heart to the Lord and say, I've messed up my life. My life is now like a waste. What do I do? And he says to you, go and say sorry to your dad. You think, what has that got to do with anything? My life is messed up. You know, I'm in trouble. I'm about to go to jail. I'm going to say sorry to my dad. That's not going to help. I'm not, that man, do you know what that man did? Do you know what he did? Do you know what he said? I'm not doing it. Five years later, your life is even more messed up 
And you say, oh, my life is missing. My life is missing. What's going to Go and say sorry to your dad. That man. That man. Well, until you go and say sorry to your dad. That's all he's asking you to do. He's not asking you to go and climb Mount Everest and raise all the money for CLM's international endeavors. He says, go and say sorry to your dad. That's it. Go and say sorry to your dad. This is a prophetic word to some people here, by the way. Some of you need to go and say sorry to your dad. I see it. It's a big stumbling block over your life. We're talking about discipleship, imitating Christ. It's a big stumbling block over your life. Not your mom. Because some of you need to do that as well. I think your mom will really like that. But for some of you, it's your dad. You have a big issue with your dad. Oh boy, my children, I hope... Yes, dad, you know what we, we do actually. <laughs> the way we don't watch telly these days, it's not very nice. Okay, I'm just... Don't even go there. Don't even, they don't watch telly. Don't even go there. The point I'm making is this. God deals with you in the now. So when you respond to him now about that issue, he will then show you the next step. That's how it is. God doesn't say to you, okay, yeah, you, your life is messed up. You've messed up. So you know what you have to do? Do a seven-day fast. And then after the seven-day fast, you need to go through the discipleship program of the church. Join a, church, a ministry in the church. And then I want you every morning to be praying three hours a day. And then after that, when you've done that, I want you to make sure you save a soul, win a soul a day. Win a, that's the kind of stuff we do to make us feel better. It doesn't do it. It just deals with you on one issue at a time. And as you respond to that issue, he deals with you with the next. Because some of you are convinced you can't live a pure life. You can't live a holy life. Some of you are convinced you cannot be consistent in your faith. You can't control your temper. You can't do this and you can't do that. And you're missing the point. Actually, in one sense, you are right. You can't. But in another sense, the blood of Jesus is more powerful than what you're handling. It is. It's more powerful. Learn to deal with him or deal with issues moment by moment, and you will find liberty. Next week, we're going to look at what was Jesus, what did Jesus, what was Jesus like, and what he did, and learn from that what we also are supposed to do. Amen.